This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. All right, Ron, now it's time for another podcast episode. We've been talking about hurricanes for the past couple weeks. So what do we got this week? We got a really big show. It's so big, in fact, that it's going to be our entire show with a very accomplished architect, Ilya Azarov. Ilya is no stranger to View Valuable Home. In September 2021, he came on to discuss his resilient and sustainable design for a home to replace one that was just absolutely obliterated in the Breezy Point section of Queens, New York, by Superstorm Sandy. A few weeks later, he was back to explain how Resilient, sustainable design can withstand other types of natural disasters. As a reintroduction, I'm going to go through some of Ilya's resume here. Big Ilya one. is the immediate past president of AIA New York, elected to the AIA Board of Directors as a 2023-25 at-large director and appointed an AII COP27 delegate to attend Global Talks on Climate and Disaster Risk Reduction. COP is a common reference to the United Nations Climate Change Conference. All this happens soon. He's going to be going to Egypt for this next meeting. All this in addition to serving as Director of Design and Resilient Strategies at the architecture firm Plus Lab in New York and Professor in Practice at the New York City College of Technology. Ilya, welcome back to Your Value Home. It's great to have you here. Seems like the residents of the West Coast of Florida can benefit from from your knowledge and experience, and I hope they can. Unfortunately, fewer than 16%, the statistic that just blew me away, of all homeowners in Florida have only 16% have home uh, flood insurance. In Sanibel and Captiva, over 28% have flood insurance, but that's still not a lot. So you've combined two emerging concepts in architecture, resilience and sustainability, to design and build a home capable of standing a, a Cat 5 hurricane. And if that has broad bearing anywhere, Florida would definitely seem to be the place, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's great to be back. I, I appreciate the, the outreach and uh, happy to join you. That insurance numbers uh, that you you quoted is not a lot. And I think that a lot of the work that we do can not only help folks of Florida, but a lot of people that are suffering through these things. The thing about those numbers, which is really frightening, and I think you, you already know this. I know you've talked with Brock Long and several others, but if you don't have a mortgage, a uh, federally backed mortgage, you don't have to carry insurance in this country. And when you think about it, that is something that we do have to think about. If you are a homeowner, you should need to protect your property. But some of the things that, that are often missed are the whole house scenario about not just insurance for flooding. We saw in Florida and most of hurricanes, many hurricanes, although they're not alike, uh, are, are wind events. And then you've got business losses and things that cover wind and hail um, may be a little different. Uh, and there's also that kind of increased cost of compliance. But in Florida, absolutely, you know, building to a higher standard is something that we all need to strive for. And these two notions of resilience and sustainability, combining them is sort of a necessary first step into getting to a better place for our communities. I just make an aside comment here. We heard about Babcock Ranch. If you know Babcock Ranch, we covered that in a story with St. Kitson, the CEO. They are west of Fort Myers by about 25 minutes by car. And he reported, it was on national news, he reported very, very little damage throughout their whole community there. But Fort Myers Beach got, it looked like a bomb dropped on it. So where you are really dictates 
basically how you should build, right? You're absolutely right. And we don't know where exactly these storms will fall, but location does dictate a lot of the risk that you you take on. If you're at a leading edge uh, right on the beach, you do have to be prepared to take on what those forces might be. Everything from storm surge, the high winds, all of those pieces play into what your design might begin to look like. If you're further inland, you may have to look at debris fields and flying debris and other kinds of damages as a different way of looking at it. So you're exactly right. Location plays an enormous, enormous piece of this puzzle. And unfortunately, Florida's had a lot of unrestricted development along the coastline, oh, yeah. which has played into this, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the unfortunate things. Yeah, there's been, Florida, I'm, I'm, I'm used to it. I've been going to Naples and Captiva for the last five years now. And Naples, a friend of mine in Naples said, yeah, lost a few shingles, that, that's, that's about the size of it. So the wind wasn't the major factor here. It storm was a surge. storm surge, okay? So yeah. define for us your brand of, of architecture in terms of dealing with this resilience and sustainability. Sustainability, sure. <laughs> trouble with that word. Uh, define <laughs> that for us. Happy to. You know, the, the ultimately, um, any type of architecture, sustainable, resilient architecture, it all comes back to health, safety, and welfare of the public. So what I'm, my, I, I do have to couch that as an architect uh, and engineers out there, you, you take an oath that is for the health, safety, and welfare of the public. So when we talk about buildings, it's in service to the public. To define resilience, though, is to be able to withstand the shocks and stresses uh, and operate before, during, and after disaster to a certain degree. And after the disaster, you may have to look at it and say, okay, we want to have 60% building operation, or we want to have at least the air conditioning and all of the refrigeration working so after the disaster, we're in good shape. That's part of, of resilience is being able to survive and come out the other side and still have operations. And that could go for business or residential. In terms of sustainability, it's really about using less resources. So you, you um, for the operations of that building in, in service to the public. So what that means is, is that uh, not just the materiality of the building being kind of the environment, but in terms of sustainability, if I have a profile of a building that uses less power, uses less electricity for heating and cooling, and I use less um, uh, water and I tax systems less, those resources go much further in the community. But also after disaster, I rely on less resources mm -hmm. to keep me operating in a normal way. Using less power, less water, and supporting the surrounding ecosystem through architecture is a great way to see things through sustainability. Wouldn't that cost decade, more than building, though? You said oh, less going into the building, but it would be more product yeah, yeah. going into the building, right? Uh, in terms of cost, the initial startup cost for resilience does cost more. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for that. It's the building industry is in a transformation of learning how to do this. Secondly, um, a more robust building does require more material. So the quantity of material is, is greater. However, um, the return on investment and the operations and maintenance are so much lower that your return on investment is very high. And insurance does recognize a better built building, reducing your insurance costs. So ultimately, you have a return on investment. And then the other question I always pose back to folks is, well, how much would it cost to rebuild? So if I'm going to ask you to spend some 9 to 10% more at your initial cost, and you will reap the benefit of that in return on investment through all of these savings I mentioned within, say, a five to seven year return period, are you okay with that? Because if you're not, you're in a 30-year mortgage, your, your chance to be hit by a storm is 29%. So is it that high? Is it that high? That. That's high? It's that high. So wow. actuarial science. So that's a 100-year that's a storm event. So in a 30-year mortgage, you're exponentially going way up. Your chances of getting, getting hit are there. And, and your building, you want to have resale value. You want to be able to take that investment and move along. Somebody in their 50s, if they did this, and something swept, a, a bad storm swept through and you had storm surge. And we're going to talk about how you get water out of a house too, which I think is fascinating. And they're 75 or 80 and probably don't have a lot of money, maybe don't have a lot of money. Uh, it's going to save their butts, right? Because, and it's going to save the insurance company money too, on down the road. It will. So it's, it's got a double yeah. benefit to it. What's well, the peace of mind that you're going to have the house still there after one of these storms? Yeah, that's, that's what the I'm big saying. Thing. It's, it's more the inconvenience than anything else. These people down there don't have homes. There's a lot of people in Captiva, Sanibel. Their homes are gone. Their homes are totally so obliterated. Yeah. We've, we all agree, and I think everybody agrees, that 9%, 10%, even 15% to build something that's way better and higher that can take 
the higher winds that can take the storm surges, it's still going to be a win-win because that inconvenience is another thing that yeah, a lot of people Especially for people about. that don't have a lot of money. Older people that don't have a lot of money. And my bet, you, you're I would absolutely bet, right. I would bet that a lot of the people who don't have the insurance in Florida are older people who don't have a lot of money, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So that it, it's just covering themselves for a peace of mind. That's what I would always look at because I've been trying to force people into for the past 20 years, build better, build better, build stronger, Absolutely. build uh, more efficient, put more insulation. Now, Ilya, as you know, we've got two by six walls in the area. We've got higher insulation. We've got better windows that uh, can generate a lot better heat and cold resistance, but it's still, I think we need more than that. Well, Ilya's delivering more than That's that. That's what we're talking yeah. to him for. How do the key, <laughs> how do the key components of uh, your what you call your hurricane strong home say the roof the walls the cladding system differ from how the average home is constructed? Let's just give people a picture in their minds of that. Sure, sure, yeah, and and just to just to put it out there, this is is for exactly who you described. This is for a single retiree on a fixed income, and the house that replacing the house she grew up in, and it's it's only twelve hundred square feet. So it's a very modest house. Her sisters come up and visit from Florida, by the way. <laughs> so they come up and visit from time to time. And so she wanted to have a place that accommodates them, but it's very modest. Now, how it's different is that there's the continuous load path is the biggest thing. And it's something that we can talk maybe about later in, the, in this broadcast. But continuous load path means that all those things you just mentioned, the roof, the walls, and the foundation, they are all connected so they act as one they act as one against the forces of nature coming at you. So typically when you see the housing, when it fails, it's usually the roof that begins to fail or the doors and windows fail and then you have progressive failure, right? In this case, all of those things work very well together. And so what we did was not only do this continuous load path and we used Fortified, which is a, a type of certification and, and inspected along the way, we did exactly what was briefly mentioned is looking at a reinforced concrete shell of a building through ICF. ICF looks like Lego blocks. Mm -hmm. And in the center of those Lego blocks is the reinforced concrete. And the roof itself, although it is a wood frame roof, the frequency or number of structural elements is, is much more. It's about a third more. And then that is stabilized by a lot of cross bracing and then bracing and attachment to the roof. So think about that is that that you think about this as one monolithic piece that is um, in a very heavy duty construction. It can take wind and water damage. It's also has a high fireproof rating. And then the, the, the weakest point after that is the windows and doors. And you look for uh, coming out of Miami, Miami-Dade with um, high impact windows and ratings of hurricane resistant windows and doors. And couple that with some some good, very common sense things, and you will get a building that is much more beyond, much much better, and much performs much better than the buildings that are out there today, even under code. Sounds interesting. People in Florida should know about this because there's going to Absolutely. be a lot of rebuilding going on down there. Can a resilient, sustainable house be of any size? Yeah, yeah. I mentioned Diane's at 1,200 square feet. Her original house was a thousand square feet, and she wanted a little bit bigger after the storm. We're building another house at 1,600 square feet in Massachusetts, but we're also building and designing for uh, some communities in the North Shore of Hawaii, which suffer from hurricanes, uh, 65 to 70,000 square foot building. Um, this methodology can be applied to any building size. So commercial and, uh, buildings, commercial buildings, residential, completely. whatever, retail? Completely, yes. Mm. And 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 boy, do I, do I advise it. You know, you think about it, uh, you know, we, we, we're sending probes and, and, and robots and all kinds of things out to, out to Mars. And we have technology in our pockets that advance so rapidly. The building industry has advanced just as rapidly. It's just not the commonplace of the builder or the common family to really understand how much we have advanced. And, and that's all we're doing is applying what's out there today. And we can really get at resilience and sustainability that's affordable and attainable by everybody. Well, that would be for new building, because if you look at Florida, a lot of the homes that were taken down were a bunch of the older homes. Well, the older homes, especially at Fort Myers, what I understand is that they were built to a former code. And the ones, uh, like my buddies, we, we covered the uh, last two weeks, you know, before you, we covered uh, Sanibel, which was really hit, and the bridge is gone now, too, and Captiva. 
the way Jack explained it, you know, his was built to a, a later code. He had water in his first floor, but he said, he had somebody inspect it for him. He said, it's really not that bad. But Fort Myers, most of that stuff on Fort Myers Beach was built years and years right. and years and ago. Right, low so lying. When hurricanes, what's a hurricane, you know? Well, hurricanes always been around. It's just they never really built to that. They never thought it could really be to a point where when you have these damages that come through, the house will get affected. I mean, look at the Jersey Shore. Uh, yeah, the knowledge, came the in. knowledge may not have been there back in those days, too, you know? It's no, a long time ago. if you look at the Jersey Shore, it's a perfect example because we're in this area. All the homes there were built low. And for years and years, in past 30, 40, 50 years, we've been having storms and it's been wiping the lower homes out. Mm-hmm. It's finally, I say, in the last five years, Ellie, would you agree with this, knowing somewhat of the Jersey Shore, like there's a town, Margate, where one of our listeners was building a house. He loves the show. And I went by, and I, again, I don't do building down there, but he said he had to raise the house. So he's raising the house, but it was a minimum from the virgin soil. It was a 12 or 14 feet up mm-hmm. where there's no livable space. So these, the main house has to be up in the air, 12 to 14 feet. Well, people are learning, but this, I think, is the way to go. Oh, I agree with you. Doing I'm, I've been overkilling for years, so anything we could do to always upgrade it. But that's what you're seeing some of the destruction. See, people are thinking that these are the brand new homes that are built uh, cat four and or they're up in the air. No, it's some of the older homes. But there's so many of them that have been built over the past 60 years oh, yeah. that need to get redone. Absolutely. We're just tapping into it now Absolutely. with the Ilias building. I think it's a great idea, but it's are we going to go to every home across Florida and say, hey, listen, I know your house was built in 1958. Do you want no, to go No, no. I mean, if, 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 the, if the homes were destroyed... Yeah, this, this makes a lot of sense, right, Delia? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And 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 Diane's house, or the house that I mentioned, is is also raised and elevated. So you do take all of those things into account. We're seeing that all along the coastlines. That we're really understanding that um, that we can read nature a little better. We understand what storm surge is, and that uh, we may have to rethink location as some of that. But I think what you're hitting on is is absolutely right. There's there's a lot of housing that needs to be replaced or retrofitted. Right to, to meet these standards. Can you retrofit with your with your um, design uh, technique or uh, pr- process? Can you retrofit so it would be as strong as a house that's built from scratch? Be sustainable. It, it depends. Yeah, it depends on the house or the building, but in general, yes. And this is the good news for for folks out there. You can make your home, your building, your business much more resilient through some very simple actions and and some of those have already been mentioned and it could go along with your general maintenance when you're replacing your roof how are you replacing your roof it gives you the opportunity to look at making those attachments to continuous load path the roof to the to the outside walls and also adding in the insulation and the roof materials you put on could then have the ability to withstand impacts from hurricane flying debris uh, the retrofit of of, um, of doors and windows, those are an easy one. Uh, as you upgrade, they, they have a cost to them, but you save on energy, but you also have the impact resistance. And if you can't afford that, you could actually add sh- uh, shuttering systems that uh, may go, go along with uh, the style of the house to begin with. And that will help you with the flying debris and all of those things. Uh, so those are some of the easy things that you can really get into some of the harder things are what you just said. There's a lot of folks who have older buildings that are in flood zones and boy, in Florida, especially where Tampa is, man, you've got bathymetry, meaning really shallow water. The storm surge there is, is predictably very high. And those buildings may not meet that challenge to elevate them. An existing building up may be cost prohibitive or, do you relocate the building? So yes, you can do things to make your buildings much more sound and secure. And for the most part, it's incremental and easy to get involved with. Okay, for few, anybody out that there, are difficult. for anybody yeah, out there ahead. who's wondering what a resilient, sustainable home would look like, it does it look much different than the average home, or can it be made to look, you know, like homes that we're used to seeing today? That's a great question. You know, some people think it's going to look like you know this. 21st century rocket ship, but now they can look, they can look like every building that's out there. In fact, the this her, the all hazard hurricane strong home, uh, our owner, she did not want to look different. She wanted to look like she belonged in the neighborhood, and so that house looks exactly like the housing around it. So they can they just have to perform differently, and and that attention to detail in the construction process, as well as the material choices, are really what you have to pay attention to. But boy, they can look like just about anything. In, in terms of, of relative cost, too, 
say take yeah. a 2,500 square. I usually always use the 2,500 yeah, square foot home. All the time. Example. Kevin kids me about that. But 2,500 square foot home, what would, would it, it's going to be more, but relatively speaking, how much more? 10%, 5%? You're right on it with about 10%. Our experience so far, and we're, but we're doing one-offs. So if, if I was a developer and I was doing it at scale, I might, I might be able to bring that down, but it's around 10% more from our experience. And we're doing a couple of these houses now in different locations. But uh, that that is that's about the right right place. Well, when you're talking um, about cost, I mean, this is one of the big things. I just had this conversation with a few people, and you mm-hmm. said, "Hey, costs yeah. going into it. Windows they do cost more." And a lot of people are asking storm surge. You have that. You have some other issues. But when? Why is it so important with doors and windows? And I was telling about the imploding. I mean, could you let our listeners know how the importance of either a plantation shutter, or storm shutters, or IZ five windows, impact zone five windows, are so important to a house? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You're, that's the weakest point that most people have. You know, the, the funny thing is, is that with windows and doors, buildings will suffer from what's called progressive failure. So we, we have a lot of wives' tales out there that, oh, you, you know, I grew up in the Midwest in Tornado Alley. Oh, a tornado's coming. Open all your windows. It's the, wor- <laughs> it's the worst thing you could possibly yes. do. You know, and, and let's put tape on there. You're right. That's that beautiful you know, $1.99 tape you just got on there is going to save your house? No, it will not. So you really have to look at what the source is. That's the windows and doors. If they can take damage and maintain the pressure differential of inside to outside, you're okay. And, you know, what I mean is, is that it's the rapid air pressure change that blows a house apart. So the smallest opening in a door or window that has been hit by something will cause such a rapid air change that either the, the building itself will, will implode or explode. It will, will balloon out and then other doors and windows will pop out and, and compromise your roof. Then water comes in. So it's really important that all of the appurtenances or openings throughout, throughout your building have a layer of protection. So that's why we advocate for, you know, just the, it's just storm shutters will, do really great or in a storm door and in florida a lot of folks don't have storm doors they'll have a screen door but not a storm door and the outswinging door versus an in-swinging door that usually is where the last piece of failure is everyone says i got my storm windows i got everything everything's great but you have an in-swinging door and the in-swinging door just think about that the only thing holding that door in place is the cross section of the the throw bolt or or bolt system if it's outswinging it's the entire frame of the door that's that's holding the wind out so you have to make a, a few intelligent choices. Now, an outswinging door doesn't cost more than an in-swinging door. So there, I, I, I have a delta. I just have to understand I've got to do it the right way. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Our sponsor, Provia, takes great pride in combining their state-of-the-art technology with old-world craftsmanship to deliver superior products for the exterior of any home. Personalized care on every order. So true and so apparent with their newest product, metal panels that have the texture and look of cedar shakes or slate. They come in four colors per style. Their shakes and slate can give any home sort of a rich look. And now you can get that look in Provia metal panels. That's news. That's big news. Provia stamp panel metal roofing is manufactured with 20-gauge recycled steel built to withstand 180 mile per hour winds and cover their Provia way with a limited lifetime warranty. In other words, Provia metal roofing is one and done, right, Kev? It's the last roof you'll ever need. You got it. I love Provia doors, windows, siding, stone, and now metal roofing that doesn't have that industrial look. Provia makes everything it takes for that perfect home exterior, and they're always in tune with the trends and choices, profiles, colors, and finishes that homeowners love and make contractors like me look good. Learn more about Provia metal panels. Go to Provia.com Click the product tab, then roofing. That's Provia.com, then product, then roofing. You can get a gust because every hurricane has big gusts, right? Mm-hmm. It's like somebody punching your door in if it's an in-swinging yeah. door, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just those two screws that are holding that in a little Forget bit of wood. It. It's all over. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. So, and you, well, earlier you talked about a lot of these new ties and braces that you put in. What I try to tell people is those braces are designed to pull in. So if... It's designed to pull in and air gets into your house. It's going in to out. It's completely reversing. Am I right about the way these bracing and new systems that we're putting a lot more Simpson ties, correct? Mm, yeah, that's hard to say. You know, the the bracing itself, the continuous load path bracing from, say, Simpson Strong Tie or other manufacturers, it really is looking at the efficacy of the exterior load and transferring it. And interior load as it balloons would do a similar transfer of load. But what those uh, structural elements do not govern is the surrounding frames of the windows and doors. And so as it balloons out, your structure might work fairly well and, you're, and transfer that load. 
and your your roof may stay in place, no problem. But it may start blowing out the rest of your windows and, and other elements that then still compromises enclosure. But um, yeah, it's safe to say those those braces help you all the way around. Hmm. Resilient design result in lower utility bills? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So the, the reason that we look at resilient and sustainable. So resilience and sustainability often walk hand in hand and often they're on the opposite side punching each other in the face. And I, mm-hmm. I, I you know, me telling you to build a, a reinforced concrete house flies in the face of sustainability. That's a, that's a lot of carbon, right? But uh, when we think about a passive house, a passive design house, a very sustainable way of keeping your energy very low and means that it can survive resiliently if you lose power. Uh, so heating and cooling are not a problem for a great extended period of time. What that means in normal operations, back to your question, yes. So for example, Diane's house, her old 900 square foot house, 1,000 square foot house, used five times the amount of energy that her current house does that has met passive house standards. That's incredible. Right? And her insurance dropped 83% based on all of the things that we did to her house. So couple those two things on a fixed income, 83% less insurance, including homeowners and wind insurance and all of those things. In well, addition goes, to the there, savings. That, that washes the, the 10% increase in cost to build a house. Exactly. So yeah. we're looking at it. She, she's had the house um, for the last several years, and we're just tracking those costs. We, we think she's going to get her ROI in, a, in about a five and a half to six year period for that extra percent, okay. that extra 10%. So if you're in That's your 50s bad. or 60s, it makes it makes a lot of sense to do it. Instead of rebuilding with the, with the stick method, go to your method and assure that you're not going to have total destruction ever again, right? I would hope so. I, I would hope that would be the case. I agree. Okay. All right. Does this type of construction, resilient, sustainable, require any special training on skills on the part of contractors? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned before, I think this is a real transition in the marketplace. The good news is any training that's necessary is provided by the material manufacturers, as well as companies or, or, or organizations like IBHS. IBHS represents the insurance industry, and they do all this material testing and assembly testing to essentially give us guidance for better buildings. Because quite frankly, as the insurance provider, I, I never want to pay out to you. I want you to always pay into me, mm-hmm. but I want you to have the best buildings possible. So after an event, you don't have a claim. I mean, that's ultimately what, you know, so the insurance model really helps you uh, by giving you good information. But every contractor we've run into has been excited about doing this work. They have some trepidations, but they're excited about it because it's new. And once they find that the training for all the trades is available, uh, as part of the process, they get it. And some of them have turned it into new business models. I, I have to be honest with you, our roofers that we from from uh, the Hurricane Stronghouse at Breezy Point, they turned that into big thing on their website. You know, this is what we can do now. And they've got lots of business. In the Caribbean, uh, after Hurricane Maria, we trained seven building crews how to do continuous load path on the island of Dominica. They quickly became exported to every island that took damage. I mean, think about that. That's... It's it's an opportunity. So yes, there's training, but the opportunity for contractors is enormous. Yeah, the areas in the world where this really has, uh, where extremely pertinent are the coast of the United States, the Caribbean, Mexico. Very rarely do they experience this stuff in Europe, but um, uh, Indonesia, places like that. It's got application all over uh, many, 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 many parts of the world anyway. So I agree. Uh, yeah. Do... This is one that uh, that, uh, that I'm really wondering about here. Do resilient, sustainable homes generally meet code regardless of where they're built? Resilient, sustainable homes, they, they have to go beyond code. Code is an absolute minimum. And we have to be really clear about this, is that uh, codes are all over, the, all over the place in the United States. Yep. You know, there's, you, some states are two, three code cycles behind pre-Hurricane Katrina, uh, Katrina Mississippi didn't even have an adopted building code. Uh, you, you just think about it. Codes are all over, but as an absolute minimum, that is not what you should be aiming for. So for sustainable, resilient homes, you really have to do an analysis, an all-hazards analysis for your location, for your family that you're working with. And once you figure out and find out what those hazards might be over the life cycle of the building, then you start to design to those standards. 
and there's a lot of great things out there, right? Um, the other thing is is that a lot of the a lot of the housing out there that's already built. You mentioned that earlier. Um, these were built under they might have been built under code for the 1990s, sure. and now 30 years later, they don't meet the standards that 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 even the minimum is today. So we do have to do the retrofit, as we were discussing briefly, which is very possible to really do a new. Uh, resilient, sustainable home today, you're going to go beyond building code generally. And is there any problem getting permits and getting approval for that? I mean, do the no. local do the local people understand the whole process? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, there's no special permitting or, or anything that we've run into. We've had some interesting conversations with uh, with building code officials during the approval process. And most of them come up with these great smiles on their faces. They'll say, wow, I've never seen that before. That really sounds great. I really like that. Or they'll see, we have to put on our applications, energy performance tables. We have to put on there um, all kinds of different performance pieces, depending on where you're designing, like New York State or up in Massachusetts. And when they see what we're doing, they say, oh, well, you passed. Great. Wow, how are you getting that 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 um, high level of energy performance? And, and they sometimes just want to call us in to have a chat. And it's not about the approval process. It's their own genuine interest. So um, we've never run into any issues that that way um, uh, from, from building officials. But, you know, we've only, you know, there's a lot of different jurisdictions out there. And there, there's probably a few that um, are, are much more adept at this um, and, and have uh, seen resilience rise up in their communities, especially New Jersey, New York, and these areas, uh, some of the Gulf Coast areas. So uh, uh, I think that's a tale yet to be told because codes are all over the place. And so the officiating is a little bit all over the place. And, you know, with global warming, too, people are going to have to really start taking a real, real hard look at this. I mean, I was out in Montana a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they've never really experienced anything like they experienced with uh, the Yellowstone River uh, going over. They had so much rain out there. They never get a lot of rain out there. And it just wiped out a lot of homes like a, uh, right along the river. River. So you're, they're experiencing something now that people on the coasts have experienced for years, and they've never experienced it before in Montana. So there, there are a lot more applications of this, I think, that are coming down the pike because of global warming. Yeah. Or whatever yeah, you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> more severe storms, whatever you want to call it. Um, let me ask you this. This this fascinates me. You have a way of efficiently efficiently removing water in the lower floors of your homes. How explain that? How that works? There's a couple of couple of really easy things that that can be done. We generally look at the height of the building that has to be raised based on the storm surge, and we make a decision there what type of of water mitigation that we do. So the building stays safe and the water passes through the building or around the building or however we decide to do it. Mm -hmm. In in the case that we, for the Hurricane Strong All Hazard Home, we did a closed foundation and it's the, the house is raised three feet above the, the recommended amount. So we're 15 feet up. 15 we recommended feet to up. go to 12, we recommended to go to 12 feet, went to 15 feet above sea level. And based on the, the bathymetry and where the storm surge is gonna be, we only had to go to 12, but we needed to go higher just for our own safety, uh, concerns for the future of the house. We projected 100 years in the future, sea level rise and other things. So underneath and how it moves through is that that perimeter foundation is all of these walls with flood vents and the flood vents open and close automatically when, when, the, when pressure hits them. And to allow the water to come through there and allow the pressure to equalize on both sides protects the structure ultimately from hydrostatic pressure or, you know, mm. one side pushing and the inside doesn't have anything pushing, you're, mm. you're, you need a structure that withstands that. So so that's one, one really good way that we've done it. We also have permeable surfaces all around that allows, you know, water to sink into the soil and other things around it, a lot of sand and, and other things that, that um, try to mitigate the amount of water that's around. Couple things we couldn't do on that house, we're doing on other house, other houses like rainwater capture and uh, dry wells and other things. But, but for moving water through, it's definitely using flood vents. Keeps your house. You see these houses floating away, and I always wonder: one, were they properly tied down? And two, did they actually have some kind of flood vent? Even if they're only a couple feet up off the ground, the flood vent will 
keep that hydrostatic pressure equalized, and then these houses don't float away with those two coupled things. And we saw that a lot in this in Ian. You saw houses lifting and floating away, so you know something was not done properly, yeah. or the hydrostatic pressure got the best of that house. Or it was built back in the 50s and 60s where they never really had a problem. Exactly. Lucky past that. A lot of that happened yeah. along the Yellowstone River. A lot of the, lot of the refuse is still there, too. So uh, probably mm. what, you are, what you're talking about right now happened. Say in Florida now, residents we've interviewed uh, over the last two weeks from uh, Sanibel and Captiva are worried about the onset of mold in homes that took on oh. Is your resilient, yeah. sustainable home more resistant to mold? Yeah, absolutely. So there's some great guidance out there. And it's common materials. FEMA, which sometimes is a four-letter word that people don't want to use after disaster, but um, FEMA puts out a document called Technical Bulletin Number 2, TB2. It's a whole list of mold-resistant materials, and these are all common materials that are available at your common market, whether it's Home Depot, Lowe's, wherever it is. And those are all fully acceptable in federally funded retrofits or uh, resilient buildbacks because they are all already on a list of mold resistant materials. So we did the same thing for all of our builds that we start from the get go of looking at that list and finding materials that adhere to that those guidelines and making mm -hmm. sure that anything that is below the flood level is mold resistant. But then generally we take it up up into the rest of the building where available uh, to make sure that mold doesn't take hold for any other reason uh, in the building. And um, the other thing is just you know reading the labels. Of, of things. Um, you can buy a gypsum board that um, has mold-resistant paper on the outside versus others that do not. And so it's, sometimes it's a choice. And does that cost more? Generally not in those cases. So yeah, that's that's the, the big thing. Mm. If you can't elevate up and out of the water, then make sure that those are durable, disaster dur durable solutions that are ready to take on water and easily clean up afterwards and do not... Um, do not invest in mold. Well, when yeah, you talk right. about those non-moldable products, when you're talking about gypsum board, see some of the problems that, that I see down at the shore points where contractors are building up higher, but then they're putting this, and again, it's the green board, drywall that's mold resistant, but it's all finished and painted. And I said, well, the two things I'm looking at here is number one, they cut the bottom of the drywall so it fits in. So now it's going to wick all the moisture wick in. Up, yeah. And then number two is what are you putting over those seams, which is the mold resistant to smooth everything out, the same stuff it's protecting it from. So that's still mm -hmm. going to mold up, the spackle that covers the lines. Yeah. Well, and, and again, looking at the looking at the, uh, the the labels of the materials. So there are there are materials that are mold resistant that can cover the seams, and then there's um, continuous taping that is is typically that can be used as well. Um, and part of that's material and method. So where you're starting your jet board. Um, and so you don't have to cut the jet board at the bottom, you're cutting at the top versus, um, you know, so it, there's a lot of intelligence that goes into how the builder is, is pulling this together. Good word, intelligence. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that goes know, to the builders themselves. <laughs> I see those, it all the but, time. But you're, you're, hit, you're hitting it right on the head. It's the devils in the details. If we didn't come out to the job site and have these conversations and have the intermediate inspections or or the manufacturers coming out and giving that training, we would fall short. And until it takes hold in the market and becomes commonplace, that's the kind of um, information people need. But they also should know that it's it's just those are usually phone calls away, especially for the manufacturers. Well, right? think about this. We've been talking about windows, and I've been doing windows with window flashing tape for 20 years that it's been out. Why is it? So we look yeah. about future well this has been on for 20 years and i see about 95 percent of all the window installations that i see around here that the are tyvek right yeah the tyvek or there's mm -hmm. there's a ton of the rubber brands mm -hmm. why aren't they doing it so why how do we educate these people because it's a lot of contractors to to start adopting that policy so homeowners don't have these problems yeah you know um to, to really educate the public um to to demand in the marketplace is one thing but to get to a place with um with with contractors and the entire piece of this, like how does how do we get to this sustainable resilience in in a in a really broad way? That's the fight that I'm very happy that you guys have this this podcast going. For example, any way we can get the word out because the, the, it is so difficult to to really move the marketplace and show that there's new material breakthroughs and there are people just screaming saying, "See, this one actually works." Or people like myself just making some designs and just giving them away, saying, just do this stuff. Um, 
it's going to take some time. I, and I don't have a, a real solid answer for, for how that can happen. Um, but we just keep fighting that good fight, to be well, honest. It's, 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 it's us. It's uh, people like us, people like yeah. you that have to keep getting the word out. And it is reiterating, driving home the success stories that come out of this. I mean, if there's yeah. a, wherever you're building now, if there's a bad weather event and houses stand up to that, that weather event, Get it out into the news. And look what is happening with uh, EVs, electrical vehicles, okay? Yeah. Uh, you've got every manufacturer under the sun jumping on that bandwagon right now. And I still think there's a long way to go with those battery-operated vehicles. Um, you know, witness the fact that they were exploding in Florida because salt water got into the batteries, right? It's got, and, and eventually it will get all tweaked out. But it's all about getting, getting the word out and, and talking about the successes that uh, your customers, your clients have enjoyed because they decided to go that way, you know? And we will continue yeah. to do that. And anytime you want to come on and talk about the successes, we will have you on because we believe oh, in this. Oh, thank you. We, will be we believe in this. That was my next question, actually, and it, it is. It's a, it's a process that will take time. Uh, it's not going to happen. You know, we have a lot of people in um, Pennsylvania, uh, New York, Maryland, who own homes down in Florida. We have a lot of listeners in Florida. So you never know who's listening. We had COO of a major energy company in Houston come back to us about, we did something on EVs a couple couple weeks, weeks ago, ago yeah. and uh, he came back with a rebuttal. So you never know who's listening to this, and you keep hoping for that. And it's that one spark that can ignite you know, a lot of enthusiasm and and that kind of thing. Just trying to educate our listeners. Educate, check it out yeah. everybody. Absolutely. If you do this right from the beginning, and yes, it is going to cost more. And I've been talking about that for nine years of it on the air. Doing it right and spending that extra money. Now, even in what I'm talking 20 years ago to now, there's still more improvements. And if we can make these improvements and keep adjusting, because I think we're still, we're close, but we still have, we, we, I think we still tap on some more technology down the line to make it even better. The National Institute of Building Science has, has this amazing report out that says every dollar that we spend on resilience today saves $8 in the future. So if municipalities understand that savings down to the homeowner or business owner, that begins that spark. But is it, so your program and others that really are getting the word out to say, yes, we can do this. Here's the examples of how to do this. And there's a replicable way of doing this. We, we can get there. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm always the glass half full guy because I have to be. Otherwise I would, you know, I walk through these communities like all of you have been and you look into the eyes of people that lost everything, it changes you. And oh, we yeah. hope that we are doing something that can assist folks. They don't have to go through that again. That's the whole point of building these houses. Yeah, Agreed. I can't imagine going this uh, going through this twice in your life. It would just break no. a lot of people, right. you know? And it's probably going to break a lot of people in Florida. My next question, I think that this is a, a, a key industry that could be very, very helpful to you. And they have everything to gain by doing it. And that's the insurance industry. How do you get the insurance industry behind this to promote this? And they certainly have the money to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think some part of the insurance industry is behind it because of the model they have, as, as I mentioned, is what kind of business is it that you give me money every month and I give you money. I don't, I don't give you any money back if you live in a house that will never fail. So IBHS um, really is a big helper. Um, and, and that really drives incentive. Uh, the fortified program has thousands of houses built throughout Alabama, for example, and, and parts of Florida. So I would really look into that. So they're really great. The other thing is, is that the insurance industry has been working with um, folks in Houston and Texas and now New York State that you have to have disclosure at the point of sale of houses of what your risk profile is for flooding. So that's the beginning, in my mind, of the domino effect. If that becomes uh, required all throughout the United States and I go to purchase a property and there's a risk profile tied to it along with here's your average energy use and here's all of the other things that you get when the sheet is printed out for the building or you're looking at it online from Zillow to whoever, uh, boy, you really know your risk going in. But it also changes it changes the marketplace in terms of pricing. Oh, absolutely. Value, all of those things. So the insurance company has moved that direction for insurables and non-insurables. And so now you have um, the first place it happened was after Harvey in Houston. Texas is now taking it on. In New York, we've patterned after that. We, in fact, we looked at their 
their bill. We brought it to New York uh, as American Institute of Architects. We advocated for it and it got passed in New York. And now we're doing the same thing. So it's it's coming. It's a little too slow. And what does that mean for the marketplace in terms of building? If if disclosure says all this property is now worth half of what it was because of disclosure, that means that someone's going to say, well, how do we get it back to its full price? Well, my hand is raised. You can't see it right now. My hand is raised because we can do that. Every architect and engineer and, and builder out there that really wants to move this the right direction, we can retrofit those buildings. We can help people understand how to get there to put the value back and be healthy and safety and safe uh, for the future. Is resilient, sustainable design more prevalent in other parts of the world in certain European or Asian countries? I would think Holland would be a good example, wouldn't it? It is. Um, so there's, you know, so sustainability and resilience, because they are different. In Europe, sustainability is is something that they, they, they get really well. I used to work in Germany and Italy and Holland. It's due to post-war resource stress. So the Europeans have been doing this for a long time. They've been really getting at sustainability, renewable energy, all of those things. And their housing, when I was working there, a minimum standard for housing was a house has to be, you know, 100 years, has to stand a minimum of 100 years, minimum. And so the, those buildings are, are built well. But in in terms of resilience, you have to look at Japan. Japan is the is the leading country in the world about innovation with resilience. After their their 2011 Tohoku earthquake and disaster, they rebuilt an entire region, whole cities and towns, completely resilient, and they spent trillions of dollars on it. They did just went crazy in the right way to make a place safe. And somewhere in between is Singapore. Singapore straddles both sustainability and resilience. They are they're really by far moving moving in the direction where you're marrying the two. But the rest of the world is is in kind of different degrees, just like us. We recognize the benefit of them, and you have initiations of them. But to get to where you want to go, everyone is is kind of kind of taking smaller steps and 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 whatnot. But it's 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 working. It's working different parts of the world. And if we can communicate yeah. the success stories from other parts of the world, that would help too. I Start would the domino effect. Yeah, domino effect. Yeah. Can you fill us in on the upcoming, you're going to uh, to Egypt for this COP27 meeting. What accomplishments have come out of COP and what may lie ahead? Every world leader or every country is represented and coming together to talk about two things. It used to be only about, only about climate change and sustainability. How do we have a sustainable future? But it's quickly changed to two sides of the same coin. Sustainability and, and resource use and global warming is one side. The other side is disaster risk reduction. And what our hope is coming out of COP is that there's been a recognition leading up to it during Climate Week and, and the UN uh, talks all throughout the world. There's been a realization that there's so much money out there for large-scale transformation and sustainability but there's very little money out there for adaptation mm-hmm. in terms of resilience. Mm-hmm. In fact, 2% of global funding right now is for resilience and adaptation, which we're going to try to even that ledger because we we really think that um, making communities safe today will allow you to be sustainable in the future. You can't have one without the other. And I think that's the positive thing. That, that's, that's what I've been participating in the last several months. Uh, and then this other thing is intermediaries. So, for example, you're – your podcast is an intermediary. You take these extraordinary examples and get them to the people so there's action. Think about that at a global scale. What's been identified is even though there's a lot of money out there for people to make change or cities to make change, the intermediaries don't exist to translate the community need or projects to allow that money to be unlocked. And that's been another theme that's come up. So all those not-for-profits or you folks out there with great ideas and you have a way to be the intermediary, good for you because the world needs you. So those are the things that are coming out of COP, that that we need to hit these agreements to reduce carbon in the atmosphere, but at the same time, we have to make our communities safe by building really robust, resilient communities. We are available to push uh, success stories out to our audience. I think our audience is interested in it. They're they're. Um, a bunch of thinkers and they, they, they go for this kind of material. So this kind of content. So anytime, anytime you need to come on and talk about it, you're it's an open invitation. Thank you. 
I appreciate it, guys. And if anybody wants to get get a hold of any of those those drawings or anything, uh, they can reach out. Um, or you know, it's it's uh, pluslabglobal.com, and just send an email, and we will send you the PDF of of the house as a starting point for you. Give you some good resources. So I I'm, and thank you so much for the invitation, guys. It's so great Anytime. to talk to you. Again. Well, I just want I want to make sure if anybody. Um Listening in Florida or uh, New Jersey or uh, Pennsylvania or Anywhere. Maryland. We got, we've got people down in Texas, too, um, who could have uh, properties there. If they want to get in touch with you, is that the best way to do it through your, through your company there? Or do you, uh, you want to put out a phone number or whatever? Sure, yeah. No, I think you can you can call the office at 718-783-0363. But really, if you go onto the website at pluslabglobal, as one word, pluslabglobal.com, uh, just send to the administrator and we'll pick up the email and answer your email, uh, either by your request for the drawings or or by just you want to contact us for a chat. Um, and we'll get back to you. Sometimes um, during disasters, we get a lot of calls um, and we get to them all. It just takes time. <laughs> yep. But yeah, yeah. Ilya, thank you for everything you do. We appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of people in our audience appreciate it. Good luck in Egypt. And we will talk again. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, guys. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship. The Provia way. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. <laughs>